I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day and welcome to The Call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 19th of October. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us. Let's uh, meet the two experts on the show today. Joining us, Ben Clark from TMS Capital and Joshua Barker from Macro Capital. Welcome to both of you. I Thanks guess uh, the headline right now is ASX 200 falling below 7,000. Look, it obviously has been a day or morning of selling thus far. Uh, lots to consider at the moment too, particularly given what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts about market sentiment more broadly at the moment? Mm. Yeah, a couple of things that uh, maybe everyone hasn't got their eye on at the moment that are causing some concerns and, and some red flags. So, um, you know, last night, obviously, we've had the rates. Um, the average 30-year mortgage in the US has tipped over the, the 8% mark. Um, so, yeah, very high. And we've sort of started to see the pressures of that flow through to some ASX companies. So Credit Corp um, reporting a massive write down uh, in, in bad debts. So uh, yeah, there's some there's definitely some pressure being felt out there on everyday people. Uh, and I think there's only a matter of time before that starts to slow. Um, you know, the expectations on rates are almost another rise or two from the Fed, you know, talking about now in January. Wasn't too long ago, we were talking about a cut in January mm. being a very small um, percentage chance. But uh, yeah, now they're talking about the opposite being a case. So uh, I think if that does occur, it's not going to be great for the markets. A lot of pressure on things. Hopefully the Fed don't take it to to, to the point where something needs to break. Um, If they do ease off, and I think we've got Jerome Powell speaking tonight, maybe we'll get some indication there. But uh, yeah, I think if they do ease off, then then markets, you know, sort of get on with the job. But definitely if they they keep raising, um, something's going to break. Yeah, pressure on central banks to at least maintain rates where they are at the moment. Ben, perhaps lifting, uh, obviously, renewed inflationary pressures coming from oil, given what's developing in the Middle East at the moment. Uh, Locally, uh, latest employment numbers out as well, perhaps adding to that case that we may see another rate rise. Yeah, I mean, it's just we've gone back into this thing. It's all about rates. Like everyone's back on the bond market. The 10-year in Australia has hit 4.75% today. It's up 10 basis points today. Just to put that in perspective, it was 3.3 three months ago. Like it's a massive move. Um, I actually think the market's held up amazingly well, given how hard bond yields have rallied um, in the last few months. If someone had told me rates were close to five this year, I would have been pretty bearish. <laughs> so the market's taken it in its step to me. and. Um, yeah, I think in America, like the Fed voting members have come out recently and said the bond market is doing some hard work for us. You know, like Josh was saying there, like it's a different system over there. You know, the mortgage rates are actually linked to what bond yields are doing and not what the cash rate's doing. Mm. And here it looks like a rate rise is maybe in play in November. I'd still be surprised. Mm. Um, but we're back in that kind of juncture where when you've got 
volatility in the bond market, it flows through to every other asset, not just the share markets, everything. And we're going through that repricing period at the moment. But, but you're surprised where equities are at the moment then, that, that nothing has broken at this point? Well, it's just, it's been more orderly, I would say. Like last year when rates went up, there was a fair bit of carnage out there. If you look now, like you look at mega cap tech stocks in America, they're not far off their recent highs. Um, yet rates have risen quite substantially since then. And, um, you know, to me, like pretty nasty day today, but the market's down 1%. I mean, it's, it's not the end of the world. And... Um, I think, you know, we've obviously into AGM season and it's probably like the trading updates that start coming through from business that the market starts to move towards. Mm. Yeah, and also earnings season in the States too, which has been yeah. really positive, which yeah, investors yeah. have appreciated. All right, let's uh, take a look at the first five stocks. We're going to take a look at CSL, Arena REITs, AUB, Baby Bunting and Prometicus. Our stock of the day is Northern Star, the Aussie gold producer releasing its quarterly September uh, production report today. Company selling nearly 370,000 ounces of gold at a price of almost 2,000 Aussie an ounce. Uh, expecting expenditure for FY24 to be similar to that of last financial year, saying it's well positioned to deliver on its guidance. Shares are up around 3% at the moment, which uh, well, clearly what's going on in the broader market certainly is a standout. At this point, that said, though, uh, the gold sector generally doing pretty well today, as we saw the gold price move higher again overnight, particularly on those geopolitical risks, which appear to be increasing in the Middle East. So, Ben, um, thoughts on Northern Star, perhaps more broadly, the gold sector? Yeah, look, I I wouldn't pay like I wouldn't quarterlies to me are not something I paid too much attention to. Got mining companies tend to have good quarters, bad quarters, you know, it's relying on weather, you know, and um, grades as they're going through ground. Um, there's a variety of factors that can impact that. It's more the gold story, I think, Andrew, like it's, you know, you, you, we're in a little bit of a risk off period here. So money's flowing into gold. Um, I'm not a gold bull and I don't own Northern Star and probably don't plan on it. I think what we're talking about with bond yields, like it's hard for me to see um, gold outperforming when you can get such a good return on capital now in a risk-free way. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'd probably be a sell, maybe a hold. I mean, you look at that Northern Star chart, same price as it was five years ago, hasn't done a great deal. Um, it's, you know, it's gold, gold's t- tricky. Yeah, well, it certainly is, um, as any uh, gold bug would tell you, uh, they've been uh, certainly disappointed of late. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts, and you know, particularly with Northern Star, uh, which I guess stands to benefit too with Newcrest mm. disappearing off the boards. Um, interested to see how that's likely to play out, but I guess more broadly what we're seeing with gold at the moment. Yeah, look, I do think that uh, I'm a seller of gold anywhere near that 2000. I think these political conflict times are the reasons why anyone would have gold in their portfolio. Um, and we're probably going to see that play out. Um, I'm definitely sort of a seller into the rally of this conflict, um, which will ad- eventually dissipate. You know, we saw that when gold rallied um, on the back of the, the Ukraine um, breaking out. You know, that's still going on and gold peeled off, um, you know, and rejected that 2000 level. So uh, until it breaks through 2000, I'm a seller as it gets closer and closer to that point. Um, you know, Northern Star is, you know, sort of lines up with 
pretty pretty uh, significant resistance around that twelve dollar mark, which we're seeing it just under today. Um, so again, a, a sort of another another sell signal. There's a lot of uncertainties fundamentally too. So they had their quarterly today. Um, the main update was that they had these uh, major shutdowns on, on three of their plants and they've surprised them well they've, they've uh, you know positively surprised the market to say that that's gone better than expected however they're not up and running yet so a lot of their uh, production and guidance is, is weighted towards that second half once those uh, centers and, 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 and mines get back up and running it's good for them long term because it increases their output but uh, yeah a lot of uncertainty in terms of you know being able to get that back online and uh, you know really meet their own guidance with a strong second half so um, yeah it'd happily be a, a trim or, or a sell of northern star at these levels okay particularly around the 12 dollar mark mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because i was talking to a technical analyst this morning uh she was the belief gold could hit uh two and a half thousand uh in the months ahead mm-hmm. but um well you know depends obviously also what goes on with uh, these geopolitical risks at the same time All right, let's get into those stocks as picked by you. The first one being CSL, one of the biggies, of course. And uh, it's one picked by George. It is that biotech company, researches, develops, manufactures uh, treatments for various human diseases with a focus particularly on blood blood plasma products. Uh, But of course, the story most recently has been those weight loss drugs such as Zempic, how it might actually affect CSL's, uh, particularly its, its uh, kidney disease business, uh, Vifor, uh, and its stock price has come back significantly, much the same as I guess we've seen this play out with ResMed. Josh, hmm. CSL uh, has come off significantly. Interested to see whether you do see a buying opportunity here or not. Yeah, it's come off a bit, probably about 15%, which I, I definitely see. It's a very large company. It's a, it's a lot of market cap to a race, but uh, not unusual for a growth stock. And I think it's important to keep in mind that CSL is a growth stock. Um, at their presentation the other day, the, the CEO was saying that CSL will, will never look to be a dividend stock. So uh, obviously that uh, is not, not the best thing that Aussie investors want to hear. Um, but yeah, there's obviously a lot of the talk um, about the, the Nova Nordisk company coming out. Um, look, the CEO himself doesn't believe it will be a material impact on their business. Um, even if it does, I think that, uh, you know, obviously it only impacts the, the Vifor um, per, uh, purchase, and that's about 15% of, of Vifor's top line revenue. Um, so about 6% of, of CSL's um, revenue potentially. So uh, I, th- I think that given you know, the, the company sold off quite significantly, they're still expected to grow revenues around 10% um, and uh, the net profit sort of around 15% at the midpoint. Uh, I think it's a, a pretty good buying opportunity being at a, a three year low. So um, yeah, I don't think any of these um, sort of catastrophic impacts are gonna happen from this weight loss drug um, that, that's maybe being priced into the market. So a slight overreaction, but um, yeah, definitely some reaction is justified, but long term, I think it's a good opportunity to add it to your portfolio if you don't have it, uh, perhaps even just a, a smaller amount at this stage. Okay, we'll call that an ad then mm-hmm. um, from you, an opportunity right now, given where that price has gone, Ben. Yeah, I'd be a pretty strong buy on CSL at these levels. I've, I think, um, absolutely think, you know, weight loss drugs, I think they're going to have very little impact on this business, if any, and if they do, it'll be some years away. Uh, 
Now, I think the biggest thing that's pulled down the CSL share price has been the rise in bond yields. As, as boring as it is to keep going on about it, growth stocks come down faster when bond yields are moving higher. And it's just, you, you can't get away from that relationship. Um, the, the key for CSL, like I watched their um, strategy day a week ago, is, is getting the margins back up in the bearing business. That means way more than anything else. And they're still earning sort of 48, 49% margins versus 58 pre-COVID. And that's because of a lot of the issues that they had during um, the pandemic in America. And they've got some pretty interesting things that they're doing to try and get those margins back. And they seem confident they can get them back to where they were historically. Uh, CSL's trading on a PE on this year's earnings of 24 times, um, which is as cheap as I can remember it in a long time. So, um, you know, 2% fully frank dividend yield. Uh, I think the market does have a little bit of skepticism about FIFO, not just because of a Zempic. I think it was already there before that. And um, it was a big acquisition. It was backed hard and fast because they've got such a great track record of M&A. So we need to see them deliver on that. But, you know, I think bearing is still the backbone of this business. And if they can get those margins back to 58 over the next couple of years, you're going to see high teens profit growth for two to three years coming. And that PE could be under 20 pretty quickly if you're still a shareholder. So buy for me. All right. Okay. That's CSL. We begin with a buy then from both. Let me do our second stock, uh, REITs. Well, we know they've certainly been under pressure uh, most recently. Uh, this one is Arena REIT, number one. Uh, it's a, a trust with a portfolio of properties focused in childcare, healthcare, education, also government tenanted facilities, which is clearly a bonus at this point. Ben, what's your view? Yeah, I've never really looked at this one, but I, I had a flick through their thing. It looks. It's an interesting business. Like it, it is predominantly childcare, like mm. the vast bulk of the properties that they've got. Um, the A-REIT sector has been hammered this year. This one's kind of held up reasonably well and versus its counterparts. And I'd say that's because the gearing levels at 21% um, are lower than probably a number of its counterparts. And the market, I think, is worried about commercial properties falling, LVRs going up, um, as debts re um, comes off uh, hedging, uh, the, the cost of the debt significantly rises. It's a pretty nasty combination. But these guys uh, have more conservative levels of debt. Uh, they've got a whale, so weighted average lease expectancy of uh, expiry of um, 19 years, which is about as long as I think you'll find in this area of the market. Um, they're on a 5% yield um, and a lot of these tenants are on uh, leases which are linked to inflation. So there is an offset there. Uh, the NTA, the asset backing is 342. The share price is trading at 342. It's um, bang on it, which actually is also quite unusual. A lot of um, REITs are trading at quite solid discounts to NTA. And I think it is a bit of a unique like part of the property mix um, and the market's seeing that. So I'm going to go a hold because it doesn't look cheap, but um, you know, I'd also, I'd be a bit wary of anything at NTA at the moment, but this one with conservative gearing and, and that whale, I think looks okay. All right, Josh. 
Yeah, I think it, it also speaks to our, our macro view. So we're probably of the view that um, rates don't go too much higher, but they stay higher for longer. So um, probably on that basis, there's no you know, real reason to be rushing into any kind of rates. Uh, ben summed it up really well, so 21% gearing. That was up from the previous year marginally, um, but yeah, more, more, more comes down to the valuation. So um, given that it's trading at its, at its, at its NAV, which is, is quite unusual, typically in, in this type of environment, you'll see them trade at a discount. So I do think there's a slight risk that, uh, you know, that does occur. Uh, our price target based on the forward projections is, is around that 287 at this point. So uh, I think there's just a slight, slight risk of, uh, you know, the market devaluing this um, given it has held up quite a bit and obviously when they see those rates um, stay higher for longer the pains felt on these companies so yeah I think I think I think it's an okay business um, you know nice yield you know 99.7 percent portfolio occupancy in, in a decent space we're definitely preferring um, industrial over over sort of any residential or office or shopping centers so that's still our preferred name this kind of almost fits in that in that sort of category as, mm. as being a little bit less discretionary if you will. Um, so yeah, I have this as a sell just in case, I guess the market does catch on, but I don't think it's going to go down too materially. Okay, but more broadly you're saying with REITs then you're not adding any at the moment. Prepared to yet. hold what, some of the industrial space, but that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, even even still, um, we're probably about six months off in, uh, adding to that, that space, but when we do, that's where we'll look to go into. Yep. All right. Uh, well, in fact, we'll come back to one of those a bit later, particularly in the industrial space. Let's move on, though, to uh, our third site, which is AUB, uh, provides broking, underwriting and risk management um, services to clients here and in New Zealand. And um, taking a look at the share price, it's actually been building quite handsomely over the past few years. So nothing to complain about there if you're and investor. Josh, what are your thoughts about AUB in that space at the moment? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, pretty much the opposite textbook of, of an example of a company that's benefiting from the, the environment currently. So, um, you know, higher premiums and, and a high interest rate um, obviously help and also lack of claims that have occurred in the last couple of years. Um, you know, like you said, this company has been on a pretty much perfect uptrend um, actually since it listed uh, in around 2000, 2006, where it was a dollar, as you can see now, nearly $30. Um, you know, QBE, similar similar sort of story. They're, they're, they're definitely making hay while the sun shines. Uh, broke out to a 10-year high yesterday, QBE. So, uh, you know, these companies are making really strong earnings. Um, these guys had a revenue increase of 61% on its previous year uh, and 33% in its growth. So, um, yeah, relatively low yield on paper. Um, it sort of would, would give you a 2% number, but the most recent dividend was equivalent to about 3%. Um, and that was at their lower end of uh, payout ratio. So they paid out a ratio of 52%. Uh, their own guidance is, is 50 to 70%. So definitely room for that uh, yield to increase. Um, for that reason, I'd probably have it as a hold. Um, they upgraded their guidance, so they're probably going to live up to their own expectations in the short term. Um, however, it's been a great run. It's been a really uh, conducive environment for these types of companies. Uh, and I suspect that that growth will normalise over the next few years. Um, revenues are set to increase just marginally in, in the next few years. So um, that yield will come up. So, you know, it'll be one that you can hold on to. Probably not going to give up too much capital growth uh, and get a, a really decent yield. Um, but it's definitely probably had its upside movement for now. How does it compare with the likes of QBE? 
Um, I think in terms of, I guess it is you know, a lot smaller than, mm. than something QBE, which is you know, a massive company. Um, I think I'd have the same viewpoint for, for both of them. So um, yeah, I'd look to sort of hold or, or even trim if, if you're after some more growth from, from this point onwards. Okay, Ben? Uh, yeah, this has been a great business. It's got really good management. Um, I would say on a P of 20 times, it looks expensive, but it's warranted that premium. Um, you know, we've seen consistent earnings upgrades. I think one of the beauties of this business is it's an insurance broker as opposed to an insurance company. So it's a much more capital light business. It doesn't take on the risk of claims. It's been ring fenced out of um, a lot of government regulatory change. Um, you know, so mortgage brokers and insurance brokers have escaped um, a lot of regulatory issues that financial advisors have had to deal with because there's this view that Australians are underinsured and they want to encourage people to have insurance. Um, very strong result at the recent uh, at the recent set of numbers. I would say to keep delivering, th this is a business that has predominantly grown through acquisition and they need to keep finding those smaller businesses to buy and pay the right prices is key. Like what this company has done is arbitrage the valuations between the private market and the public market. They're trading on 20 times. They're frequently buying up little insurance broken businesses at eight times, nine times, 10 times. Bring that in and you know, you've almost double what you paid for a business overnight because the public markets are paying a, a big premium for it. So that's kind of key over the next couple of years. They need to keep making those acquisitions and make them work. But I'd sort of back the management to do it because they haven't really put a foot wrong. So I'll, I'll go a hold just because I think it is like the small cap mafia, they all, they're all on there, they're all in there. All of the, <laughs> the good small cap guys are there and you sort of wonder where the incremental dollar comes from. Um, so I think it's, it is tightly held um, and the valuation, you know, 20 times is pretty punchy for a business like that. Yep, okay, all right, that's a double hold then for AUB. Moving on to our fourth stock, Baby Bunting. Uh, this one picked by Joseph. It is the largest retailer of uh, baby and toddler products uh, in the country. Um, but of course, facing some pressure in regards to discretionary spending. I guess maybe you could argue it's not discretionary spending if you have a baby. You've got to buy these things. Uh, revealed in its uh, last financial uh, statement that the total sales were down about 3 plus percent on the year. Ben, is it discretionary or not? Are you? I think it's less discretionary than we all think. Yeah. You know, I, I think if you are, I'm not sure, Like, because I, I think the grandparent, the, the bank of mum and dad does step in at these points in people's lives and helps fund the cots and the prams and the, you know, the all the necessary things you need when you're having a baby. But I think if, you know, push comes to shove, things like Facebook Marketplace and Gumtree and those sort of things, I mean, yeah, you want new stuff, but this stuff does turn over as well. Like, you know, this if you have a baby, you only need a pram for two years and people do resell them. So I think the recent environment showed it probably is less discretionary. It had a good re-rating on its result because it, it's putting in place a very aggressive cost out program. Um, and that's going to hopefully see margins for the business uh, expand. But, you know, you look at the numbers like like for like sales growth nearly minus 10% it's pretty pretty um 
pretty solid downward move. Mm. So that would suggest a, a fairly, they, they've seen a pretty rapid change in their environment pretty quickly and probably quicker than other retailers, I'd, I'd say. Um, so, which kind of maybe makes sense because it is younger families, the, you know, mortgages are more susceptible to changes um, in interest rates. The stock's trading on a 14 times forward earnings multiple and a yield of about 4.5% fully franked. Um, that looks, it's always hard with retailers. I mean, that could look cheap or it could look expensive. And it's going to, they need to stabilize sales and grow those margins. And if they can do that, there's upside, still more upside from here, from where they've bounced. I'll say a hold, because I think the jury's out. And as we've both spoken about at length, like there's no signs that we're going to get rate cuts anytime soon and maybe even a, a couple more hikes. So um, that keeps the pressure on the retailing businesses and um, makes those cost out things even more um, more urgent. Josh. Mm. Yeah, the old non-discretionary, discretionary stocks. Mm. Um, yeah, I, think, I think the CEO summed it up well um, in his most recent outlook. He's basically said the category is less discretionary, but um, definitely not immune to those cost of living pressures, unfortunately. So uh, I think they're doing some good things. The, the revenues are going to tick up very marginally. But you know, when you see the high of the stock uh, a couple of years ago, that was when it was a, a really strong story. And it'd gone from, from, from really low levels and sort of got a high PE uh, in, in that movement as well. So they're doing a bit of a restructure um, in, a tough, in a tough time, you could say. So I think uh, it's going to come down to whether they can pull it off. Um, I mean, it has been a strong performer over, over a five, 10 year period. So you'd back management to say that they can and they have great, got a great foothold on the, the market at the moment, uh, right across the East Coast and even expanding into New Zealand. So it is a hold. Um, I think there's going to be some turbulent time for this company over the next year or two. Uh, and then I think it, it really gets on with the job afterwards if, as long as it can yeah, sort of successfully pull that off. Uh, even, even sort of with the, 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 the drop off in earnings, you're probably going to get about 5% next year and 6% the year after in yield. So at least you're getting paid something to wait for the company to have that, um, I guess, you know, re re restructure. Um, I think, yeah, so it's a hold for me. Yep. Okay. Double hold then on baby bunting. Let's take a look at ProMedicus. Uh, it is the imaging IT company, uh, provides a range of um, radiological software services, medical accounting, reporting to the healthcare sector. Uh, just signed a large deal in the States, 10-year contract with Baylor Scott & White, which is one of the largest not-for-profit healthcare systems in Texas in the States. And as a result, we did see that share price jump. But you take a look at the share price, it's another one of the stories where the chart actually looks really good, uh, particularly if you've been there for quite some time. So Josh, mm. what do you make of ProMedicus? And as to whether, I mean, okay, so it's got this contract, but beyond that, I guess, mm. is the question of what next? Yeah, it's interesting. It's one that sort of slipped, slipped by us. Uh, there's been a lot of focus on other uh, healthcare stocks at the moment, probably more so to the downside. And this one, yeah, seems to have just been continuing on well. Um, the sector we think is is still going to be favourable. So their you know their clients are to the hospital spend. Um, you know we think that sort of radiology uh, information systems is something that basically just grows at around ten percent um, per annum for the next sort of ten years. Um, so they're in the right space. Uh, their revenues uh, are going to keep ticking up as they as they have been 
very high PE, we're sort of talking around 100, 140 odd PE, um, but their costs seem to be quite flat. So as their, as their revenues tick up over the next few years, uh, the earnings is meant to tick up pretty much in line. So it seems that it's not going to accrue too much more costs in terms of the, the way the business is structured. So, um, you know, even if it does continue on with that, you know, the PE goes from 140 down to around 70 over the next few years if it, if it stays flat in line with that. So um, yeah, bit too bit too, too rich for our blood, but um, yeah, it's obviously done really well and um, probably likely to continue to continue on. But uh, yeah, just can't justify paying those really high PEs uh, at the moment in in the healthcare se- healthcare uh, sector has been really quite volatile. So wouldn't want this one to be the next one to come under pressure. Um, you know, Telex was a good example of that that had done 100% in the last year, uh, and it's sort of given up almost half of that just in the last few weeks. Well, so, today, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a bit bit more of it today as well. So, um, yeah, very volatile sector. And I think you need to really sort of be careful with these high high PE stocks. Um, If they don't live up to that hype, then obviously the volatility can be quite high to the downside. So uh, have it as a hold. I I wouldn't be, um, you know, trying to trying to get out of it by any means, but uh, not something that we'd buy at these levels. Yeah. Okay, Ben. Yeah, I'll go hold as well. I think this is probably one of the best businesses on the market and um, it looks expensive but I think I've heard for five years straight that it's too expensive and it just kept moving so I think one thing from memory it's one of the only companies on the stock exchange that's never done a capital raising Um, so that's like quite it's just it's always something to look out for they've got the same number of shares on issue today that they did when they floated and businesses that can internally fund themselves get they get re, you know they they trade on high PEs and um, I think that's one of the keys to this company. But certainly that contract win it was major. Um, it's the I think it was six times the average size contract win that they've had over the last few years. I think it be, continues to show the market like the the US market is massive and they're really starting. I think you know there's always worry about I think the biggest risk with this company is someone else comes out with technology that does it better and you just don't know until you find out that that's happened and the fact that they're accelerating their signups is only to me a sign that um, there's broader and broader uptake and this business becomes very powerful as that happens so I think you're going to see continued contract win momentum uh, which will keep a bid under the share price this is one of the stocks I'd say, you know, like we can all get caught up in bond yields, but ultimately fundamentals win out. And the fundamentals of this company, it should, like it's tr- it nearly hit an all time high a few weeks, I think it did a few weeks ago, um, um, despite the high PE and the high growth. So investors will still pay up. And I think it's a good sign to me in like in this environment, you look for stocks that are hitting all time highs because there's something going on there. Mm. Uh, so I'll say a hole, but on a dip, if it dip back a bit more, it's probably a buy. Yeah, interesting. Okay. All right, a dip. That is the first five. Let's uh, let's summarise where we've been for the first half of the show then. Uh, we began with our stock of the day. It's Northern Star off the back of its latest production update there. Look, Ben's saying he's not in gold, but look, he'd probably hold it if he'd had it. Uh, Josh, though, more inclined to trim uh, pointing out particularly that um, 
the, the gold price itself sort of shows the resistance at the $2,000 level and Northern Star itself at about the $12 level for the stock. Into those ones as picked by you, uh, CSL, of course, one of the biggies there. Uh, the story at the moment that uh, the share price has come off all about Zempic, once again, as we've seen with ResMed uh, and how it's likely to have affected its uh, Vifor business, which uh, treats kidney disease. Uh, Josh pointing out, it's look, only really likely to affect about 6% of its revenue. Uh, he's willing to add it, um, whereas Ben has a strong buy, he's more convinced. Um, he's saying perhaps the biggest drag really has been those bond yields at the moment, but it still so shows strong growth. Arena REIT, well, we know the pain that REITs have uh, suffered of late. Um, look, it is a hold from Ben, uh, saying it's holding up reasonably well. Uh, Josh, though, no, he's more inclined to sell it. Uh, he doesn't, they're not really into REITs at the moment, but if they were, it's more in the industrial space. AUB in insurance underwriting, um, a hold from both uh, in fact, uh, both pointing out though, it is a good business and well run. Baby bunting in the uh, non-discretionary discretionary space, uh, which is arguable, I guess uh, it is a hold from both. Um, and I guess Ben making this point too, that uh, look, while you know, talking about baby, so it is probably less uh, discretionary. It's young families that are hitting being hit the hardest at the moment with those cost pressures. So that's uh, their number one customer, really. And uh, just finally there, ProMedicus. It's a hold from both uh, an impressive business, just had that contract win. All right, let's uh, take a look at the High Conviction Fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that's live here to watch at ausbiz.com. Uh, checking in on the update going into October, Avita Medical taken out, it's weighing a distributor between Washington 8 Salt Pats and Altium. 1% was taken out each of Karun Energy, ProMedicus, which we just discussed, and Paladin Energy, another 1% of cash was spent to add Camplify. Checking in on its performance, and uh, we'll, we'll have taken another hit today, of course, given where we're down, but uh, so far it's at uh, 5.5% uh, on a cumulative return basis higher since its inception in March last year so keep sending in your requests get the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next well next half of the show we're going to take a look at goodman group qantas beach energy strike energy and paradigm biopharmaceuticals so let's get into goodman group uh it is in the commercial industrial property uh we were talking about those reits how they've suffered but uh, clearly industrial has outperformed in that sector. Look, it has large scale logistics facilities, uh, business office parks um, in about 17 countries, in fact. So it's got a wide footprint there. Ben, what are you thinking of Goodman Group at this point? Uh, yeah, I like Goodman. Um, we own it and um, I'd be a buyer. Uh, I, uh, I, I guess it kind of stands out to me in the REIT sector, mainly because industrial, you know, I think we all know Industrials hold, held up a lot better than the other components of commercial property. But also, this company has got a, um, a gearing level of, I think it's like 4.7% or something. So, you know, it's, 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 it's not going to feel any pain from the rate environment other than potentially some um, pullback on valuations of assets. You know, Greg will tell you that, the Greg Goodman, the guy that runs this company, um, that this is a time you get opportunities because he's he sort of said that there's some pretty highly leveraged um, guys out there who will probably have to sell and they'll have the, the firepower to do it. But I, 
I think the really interesting thing with Goodman Group over the next five years is going to be this pivot into um, data centers. So Goodman Group's largest partner globally is Amazon. Um, they um, build, own, and operate a lot of the huge fulfillment centers all over the world that you know you send the photos of. And the the real call out in their August result was, uh, and he sort of said, "I'm not making a call on data centers. We're just listening to what our partners are telling us." Is how aggressive the build out of data centers is going to be over the next decade, really fueled by how much data AI is going to force companies to hold. It's like going to be this hockey stick style thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that um, by the end of this financial year, they'll have three megawatts of um, data centers, which off a standing start, it's quite extraordinary. Like it's not far off next DC in terms of size. And they own a lot of the land that you can put these on. They've got the partners. So it's not inconceivable that they could really push hard into this area. And I can tell you the market is paying much higher multiples for data center operators than industrial property operators. So that'll be an interesting part, but even just on the fundamentals, it's trading on 20 times forward. Um, it doesn't sound cheap, but you've got a lot of asset backing behind that as well. So I think it's um, it's a buy for me. You mentioned NextDC. Mm. Would that be a preference, though? If you're talking about data centers, I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah. We, uh, NextDC is one that got away from me. I actually went and did a tour of a couple of their data centers like 10 years ago. And um, for whatever reason, I never... But they, they were going through a very heavy capex. I think that the, the problem they have had is, you know, they're sort of opening one and then there's a lot of funding requirements. How quickly are they filling it? And it, it, it's... It, but they've done very well. Like Craig Scrooge, he's done an extraordinary job. So hats off to them. But for me, Goodman, I kind of prefer because mm. I don't, I feel like with Next DC, you're paying the multiple of a data center operator, and with Goodman, you're not. Yep. But Goodman, the advantage they've got is they own these sites, um, they're not leasing them. Mm. And they've got, uh, I think it's like $92 billion in property that they own, and like about, a third of that is on balance sheets, so uh, it's like it's a very impressive business, and um, I probably you know it's a less risky way to play it, mm. I would say. Yeah. Um, so that that would be the one for me. Okay, Josh. Um, yeah, it's one that we would have on our watch list at, at this stage. Um, trying to, I guess, look to accumulate it at any sort of weakness or, or discount. Um, you know, it's trading, um, as, as Ben said, a sort of forward PE of around 20. That's about its five-year average as well. So if we get any sort of um, disconnect from that, you know, it, it drip, drops to a, you know, 16, 17 PE. I think that's always a great opportunity. Um, and you can get those opportunities in, in, in a fearful market like we're seeing at the moment. Um, so yeah, they've had a bit of a dip, but I think uh, a big sort of uh, conglomerate like this uh, that's got a foothold on, you know, all things sort of development and management in the industrial sector, um, they actually probably pick up market share uh, whilst we see sort of tough times in the development space. So um, yeah, uh, on, on the watch list, uh, looking for a buy at any sort of discount. Um, and obviously once we start to see those interest rates you know, lower, uh, this is when this will get on with the job. Yeah, okay, all right, that's Goodman Group. Let's take to the air with Qantas. Goodness, I think we've discussed this a bit lately. Uh, certainly one of the more controversial companies, um, given what's happened, particularly in a management level and the board, we're now looking at a refresh there. 
Um, but um, just in terms of its operations uh, at the moment, um, look, it's obviously got a big capex spend ahead of it. Also, got to contemplate higher fuel costs given where oil is going, plus the currency is of consideration as well. I was just taking a look at some of the um, the analyst view. Um, majority seem to think it is undervalued at this level. Of course, it has actually the share price has tumbled. Uh, considerably just over the past month or two, given these controversies that we've seen. So, Josh, what's your view on Qantas? Um, yeah, it has tumbled, and I think that's sort of justified. Um, they had a lot of lot of support um, and a lot of initiatives to sort of come out of COVID, and I think that's largely played out. Uh, and then now the company is seeing its own sort of uh, company-specific risk. They're in a really tough spot where basically they're going to have to spend a lot of money to keep customers or just lose the market share and lose the customers. So it's gonna have to be one or the other, um, all while sort of paying really high levels for oil. So they're flagged $200 million hit from from the rising cost of of fuel um, that that may be severely underestimated given if oil does continue on um, to go to higher levels. Um, You know, they're facing fines. Um, They've also got a lot of work to do in terms of, you know, like you said, CapEx, so spending money on uh, things like um, the the centres for customer service um, to sort of regain that trust. So they're in a tough spot where basically they're going to have to pretty much have a squeeze on on their margins and, and revenues in order to keep keep the the market share of of the customers that they have. Um, So yeah, I think Richard Branson summed it up quite well where he said, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, start with a billion and and buy buy an airline. So happy to take his word for that and uh, put Qantas down as a sell. All right, Ben. It's a good quote. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm still a sell on Qantas. I I think um, they've got more pain to come. Uh, The biggest issue they've got is they need to, I, I just think Alan Joyce is given the world's biggest short ball to the new CEO and she's going to have to go and spend billions of dollars on a new fleet. Um, their fleet's the oldest in the world um, mm. of, of the, those sort of tier one airlines. And um, when you look at the analyst estimates, their estimates are the amount of money they'll need to spend on the fleet is almost what the market cap of the entire company is. So um, I think like forget the dividends for a while um, and then you've got the core business which I can't every lever to me is going in the wrong direction for them um, I mean, consumers have got the travel bug out of their system post COVID uh, they're much more wary about what they spend on on airfares um, the cost pressures from oil etc continue to push higher um, that all looks pretty nasty to me and um, and on top of that you've got this massive brand reputational trashing that they've taken and that's not going to be easy to turn around. Um, you know, so a classic example, like a lot of t- fundies talk about culture and I think sometimes people raise their eyebrows and roll their eyes, but this is the, a great example of poor culture leading to poor financial or shareholder outcomes where you, you probably are going to see Qatar get slots. You're probably going to see Sydney Airport saying, you know, you're hoarding slots and the politicians are now cracking down because they know there's political pressure to do it. And so... The financial outcomes mm. rolled from that. So uh, I'll go sell. Yep, double sell then for Qantas, pain ahead. All right, let's uh, now get into, we're talking about uh, the oil price, uh, or more broadly energy prices and how that's likely to affect uh, Qantas. Well, let's uh, get into energy. The first one being Beach, uh, oil and gas exploration production company, 
And he's actually the largest onshore producer locally. Um, and of course, we know where the oil price is going at the moment. Um, and following this, we're going to talk about strike. And there's a common denominator here. That's uh, what's going on in the, the Perth gas basin. And there's a lot of play going on here with Gina Reinhardt, Kerry Stokes and the like. So let's get into it with Beach. Uh, ben? Yeah, look, I'll start by saying I'm not an expert on small and mid-cap gas and oil producers or explorers. So take all this with a grain of salt. I, I, I'll say sell on Beach. I, I just think I look at Beach, same price as it was 10 years ago. Um, there's been very little value added to shareholders. Um, the oil price has been very strong recently. To me, that is a time when you sell oil and gas stocks. It's not a time you start thinking about buying them. Um, these pressures will alleviate and the geopolitical, like Josh said, it will die down and the steam, I'm sure, will come out of the oil price and um, I'd be fading the, um, the rally in that. Um, like, I, I, I don't know a lot about Beach, but I've probably looked at it enough over the years to think it's not a business I want to buy. It's very capex intensive. Um, there's been a lot of M&A stuff going over a long period. I mean, you can see the chart there. It's a trading stock and you, you, um, you know, when everyone's down on oil, that's when you buy a business like Beach and um, when everyone's bullish on it, you move on, I think. So um, mm. now's probably a time to move on. Okay, Josh? Yeah, we're, we're bullish in the short term on, on oil. Um, we think that's probably got a bit legs to go. So uh, in terms of the sector, yeah, look, it's probably going to rise in the short term. Um, it's not our preferred name, however, in, in the space, probably largely due to sort of that, that lack of shareholder return that it's that it struggled to deliver. Um, I don't think it's sort of top tier in terms of a dividend or growth component. Uh, within the portfolio at the moment, we have Woodside to, to benefit from, from that high yield, uh, and we have Karoon to benefit from the growth. So this sort of ticks our boxes on neither, despite being in, in the right space. Um, so yeah, definitely not a buy on this one. Um, you know, maybe even look to, look to sort of sell and reallocate into more preferred names. Okay, well let's sort of stay in the space then. The other one we're also going to take a look at is Strike Energy. Um, it is in that Perth gas basin as I was talking about. There's a lot of competition going on there right now. Um, Josh, can mm. you um, enlighten us as to what this means for Strike? Yeah, well I think this is a lot better on terms of the, the growth side. Um, it's probably got more of a revenue and earnings characteristics closer to Karoon, where it's sort of just gone into production and, and really starting to ramp up. Um, it's going to take a little while, so you're quite early with this one. Um, you know, for example, it's not, not meant to do sort of significant revenues in the near term, um, but, you know, potentially in that sort of 12 to 24 months, it's, it's starting to, to really come um, you come home strong, you know, sort of 50 mil to 120 to 320 over the, over the few years to come. But whether the oil price is at those elevated levels, you know, 12 months on um, and, and, and 36 months on uh, is, is a little bit too speculatory for us. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just given that it's not quite gone into production yet um, and, and, and not sort of, you know, really had the operations up and running, um, I think it does well, but yeah, I think it's, we're just focused on other areas to, to benefit from the oil price in the short term. Yeah, so your things like Woodside and Karoon. 
All right. Yeah, so not just oil, but also gas, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So European winter coming, you yeah. know, we've got that flow on effect. You know, last time sort of oil oil was really quite high. Natural gas levels were really quite high as well at, at around the same time this this time last year. So, um, yeah, you should see the benefits start to th- flow through to those companies. Yeah. So you want to be a well-established producer. That's yeah, what you're focused exactly. on. Okay. Um, Ben, I'm guessing you're going to say you're not really in this space, so you don't have no. a lot to add. But anyway, let's let's. Well, I, look, I had a quick flick through it. Um, so it, I'd actually say it looks a bit more interesting than Beach. On and this is an as a novice um, early oil and gas investor in a forty cent stock. Um, so they they've got a lot going on. I I would say. What this share price does from here is that they're drilling a lot. They're, they're drilling aggressively and. It will be the outcome of that drilling that will probably mean this share price goes to 60 cents or goes to 20 cents. And, you know, that's just what these companies do. They serve a purpose, and, but it is, there is a, an element of flipping a coin when you get into exploration. Um, they've got $130 million in cash, so that's a tick. They're very well capitalised. Um, but they are burning, just to put in perspective, they burnt $20 million last quarter. So. They're churning through the cash quickly, reflecting the um, aggressive um, drilling program. I'm going to say a hold because there is a lot of M&A activity happening in, in West Australian gas and it wouldn't surprise me if this was on someone's radar. We know... Um, Maybe Genus. Genus, Chris, Chris Ellison. At the moment, she? Yeah, that, 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 you know, clearly they're all, they all need gas and they need cheap gas. And, um, you know, there's been a moratorium over in WA for some time, which Mm. will change. So um, there's some interesting stuff there. Uh, So hold for me, because I don't think you're going to get a capital raising anytime soon, famous last words. You could get a discovery, but you could get M&A as well. Um, And they do look like they'll start producing um, fairly soon, which means that they'll hopefully be able to fund themselves. Yep. All right. Okay, so maybe just a bit too early, but as you say, could be it was go either way, couldn't it? Depending on the the outcome of that drilling. Okay, let's round it off with uh, Paradigm Biopharmaceuticals. Uh, this one picked by Matt. Uh, it is uh, in the space of well, let me give you the name: uh, injectable penicillin polysulfate sodium. Now, this is uh, helping with osteoarthritis, particularly in far as knee cartilage is concerned. Interestingly, also treatment of the condition in dogs, which apparently is uh, looking pretty promising at this point. It is in the process of getting a a tick of approval from the TGA. Um, Ben, is this one you've looked at before? I actually have. Um, This is, um, I kind of stumbled across this one some time ago and I've met the CEO a couple of times. Um, And it, look, it, it, it is a, it's got a lot of promise, this business. Um, osteoarthritis is a massive untreated problem. There really is no competitive drug if they can get this drug to market. Um, they've had outstanding trial success uh, and they're now in phase three um, expedited um, trial over in America with, through the FDA. Um, they've got a pathway to market that, you know, it's like they actually came out yesterday and not only is there a pain side that is, looks quite compelling because the, the kind of the alternatives is um, um, the opioids um, is really the only thing that they've come up with and they, they wean off pretty quickly. But 
This drug, which has been used for other conditions, so we know it's safe, a bit like the, the GLPs for many years, um, is showing signs that it's actually re rebuilding cartilage. Mm -hmm. So it's not just treating um, the pain that you get from it, it's actually helping ease the condition. But, and there's always a but in this space, um, it's, it's so out of favour. Small biotechs, the market just doesn't want to know about it at the moment. That'll change at some stage. There is a funding hole. That's the big, this company's biggest issue is they probably didn't raise enough to show the market they can get through phase three. Um, and I think, you know, if you are interested, you probably sit back and there might be a capital raising. The CEO's got plans. There's some other stuff they're doing to um, monetize that and to use that to fill the gap for this trial. So it remains to be seen if that comes off. But that's kind of the catalyst is they need to show the market how they fund this trial through to the end. And then I think you could see a much higher share price. So I'll, I'll go buy. A buy? Yep. I should say I own some of this myself. There you go. Okay. All right. Specky buy or just a... It's absolutely specky buy <laughs> and it's half since I bought it. So <laughs> take, that in, take that all into account. Yeah. Okay. Josh. Uh, it's not one that I had been familiar with previously. It seems to have a lot of support. Um, you know, sort of five five out of the six brokers have a, have a buy on it that cover cover the stock. Um, you know, what's interesting about the business is is they're a drug repurposing company, so that that obviously gives them a lot of um, sort of reduced. Uh, cost and, and time in order to get it to market. Um, very early stage, just a while off, still being into, into revenue focused areas, um, sort of phase two entering phase three. Um, we'd probably be more, you know, if we were to be super high conviction on, on a company like this, we'd be sort of more closer to that bring it to market phase or maybe anticipating whether it's going to be brought to market. So uh, probably at the next phase for something like this. But um, yes, look, it seems to be going well. Um, unfortunately, it's a bit unloved by the by the market at this stage um, you know some of the price targets are, are around 210 um, from the people that know it quite well so um, for that reason I wouldn't sell it um, and I'd have it as a hold um, and sort of just back back the people that know alrighty okay that brings us to the end so let's summarize where we've been for the second half of the show then and uh, we began with Goodman Group in uh, particularly industrial property uh, Ben owns it and he's got a buy on it in fact uh, he believes in it so much he says uh, particularly as far as its future is concerned with its focus on data centers which he says is so very promising um, it is on Josh's watch list though uh, he's saying accumulate on weakness Qantas, well, we know what's happened to that company uh, recently. Share price certainly uh, losing significant altitude uh, and both have a sell on it, seeing a lot of problems ahead, uh, particularly with its uh, huge capex that's ahead of us. Plus, you've got those fuel costs it's got to contend with as well. Beach Energy, look, not one that Ben is really um, focused on at the moment. He does have a sell on it. Uh, he said, uh, fade the rallies. It is a trading stock. Uh, Josh, also a sell. Uh, the preference here is for stocks such as Woodside and Karoon Energy. Strike Energy, um, no, from Josh, once again, it is, uh, he'd prefer those bigger producers. Uh, ben, though, saying, look, they are dr uh, drilling very aggressively. It could go either way there. He points out it's well capitalised. It's got a hold on the stock. And finally there, Paradigm Biopharmaceuticals, a specky buy from Ben, he does own it, and a hold there from Josh. 
Well, that uh, is the show for now. Just a reminder, uh, Mining Matters, join us for a special edition of the call from lithium and uranium to copper and gold. We'll cover it all. Gaurav Sodhi and Daniel, Daniel Ortiz will go head to head on what to buy, hold and sell. That is Monday, October 23rd, only on Ausbiz. Well, thank you to our guests, Ben Clark from TMS Capital. Ben, good to see you. Thanks. And likewise, Josh from Macro Capital. Thanks for having me. All right. Stay with us. We've got the, the pulse coming up next. <laughs>